Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I would say if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to somewhere in the Bible. But uh, we're going all over the place in John's Gospel this morning. John 14 through 16, sort of a recap of where we've been so far in the upper room discourse. Uh, we're finishing up um, looking at that before we move into uh, the high priestly prayer in John 17. So John 14 through 16, Jesus has been teaching his disciples in the upper room. And then in John 17, he gives the prayer, this great and famous and glorious prayer that's known as the high priestly prayer <clears throat> before moving out into the darkness uh, to the garden where he meets his betrayer. So <clears throat> at the end of his uh, conversation with the disciples where he's uh, primarily teaching them, John 14 through 16, uh, we're, we're sort of going back and looking at something that we've seen several times as we've gone through the passages. We haven't really focused on them yet. And that's, um, that's the theme of prayer. Prayer is a big theme in the Upper Room Discourse to this point, seven times in John 14 through 16. Uh, Jesus has talked about our asking in his name. And those are the texts that we're going to look at this morning. That's printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. Uh, asking in his name. So we're stopping to consider what he means by that before we move into his prayer. <clears throat> and maybe it'll help us actually to see the connection between our prayers that we're asking in Jesus' name and his prayer uh, on our behalf, the great high priestly prayer of chapter 17. So <clears throat> sort of a transitional sermon for us. <clears throat> Jesus delivers to us <clears throat> uh, a unique perspective on prayer, a unique conception of prayer. There's a lot of ideas about what prayer means uh, throughout the world, even in the Christian church, but just in general <clears throat> among human beings, and uh, Jesus gives us a, a unique conception of what prayer really is. It's not just getting into a certain frame of mind in order to uh, enter into a state of tranquility for myself. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not positive thinking directed in the general, sort of general direction of uh, the highest absolute power. Prayer is not sending good energy, good thoughts, good vibes to people somehow, maybe psychically, to help other people. Jesus teaches us to pray to God, to God alone, and to pray to him as Father. We have a relationship with his God. That's how Jesus is conceiving of prayer and instructing his followers to pray. He teaches us to pray to God as our Father, the one whom Jesus reveals to us, the one whom we know through faith in Christ, the one with whom we have a relationship. And he most frequently, Jesus most frequently characterizes our prayers as petitions, asking, asking. And he says that this is done in his name, ask in my name. That's what he says. Of course, this is why so many Christians end so many of our prayers, most of them, with the phrase, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. um, Brian, uh, Brian Chappell has a good book on this. Um, instead of ending prayers with Jesus' name, he talks about beginning them and, ha and having in Jesus' name sort of, sort of shape the way that we think about prayer. It's called Praying Backwards. Um, <clears throat> it's a good, good little book. Um, prayer in Jesus' name, when we say in Jesus' name, amen, <laughs> at the end of our prayers, uh, really the substance of what that means in Jesus' name when we pray that way is not a magical incantation that unlocks the deep metaphysics of prayer. It's not 
discovering the secret sequence of buttons on the cosmic vending machine to get what you want out of God. Um, it's not the lucky charm that you rub superstitiously to feel like you did it right. We say it at the end of every prayer or else it's not a real Christian prayer. Kids understand what this is, prayer in Jesus' name. What does it mean, kids, when you, you end your prayer in Jesus' name, amen? It means it's over, and it's time to start paying attention to people again, <laughs> to what people are saying. No, that's not it. <laughs> that's how we use it. <clears throat> Praying in Jesus' name means fundamentally asking the Father for things as if we were Jesus. Asking the Father for things as if we were Jesus. So I don't do this very often, but uh, there's going to be an alliteration here, three points. Uh, the things that we're going to talk about this morning, first, it's a divine privilege to pray in Jesus' name. It's a divine privilege. Second, there is a divine profile to prayer in Jesus' name. Third, a divine promise inspires prayer in Jesus' name. If that sounds really cheesy, that divine uh, alliteration <laughs> that I gave, so we don't do that all the time. So just ignore it if you like. <clears throat> but um, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Divine privilege, divine profile, and a divine promise. Let me pray, then we'll read the scriptures that are printed here. <clears throat> Father, you have given us your word because you love us and you want to help us grow in a relationship with you. So we pray that you would help us now through your spirit. Help us to make sense of your word. Help us to look at Jesus and see you and relate to you and learn from you and be changed into Jesus' likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just going through the texts here. Uh, in chapter 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then in chapter 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A little later on in chapter 15, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then in chapter 16, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And finally, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Praise be to you, O Christ. I don't know if maybe you noticed uh, so many times Jesus talks about asking in his name as we've gone through the upper room discourse, but finally we're going to pay attention to what he's saying. <clears throat> First, it's a divine privilege to pray in Jesus' name. It's a divine privilege. Carbart says that uh, we pray because we're permitted to do so by God, because we may pray, and because this very permission has become a command. That's the way Jesus uses this language. He's instructing, he's commanding his disciples. We understand it to be uh, a privilege. It's, it's a permission that we have, but uh, he also, um, maybe to get it into our heads, says, no, you need to do this. He commands it. <clears throat> so but by divine privilege... I mean that Jesus himself enjoys the divine privilege of, of prayer. Jesus himself prays. And he shares that same privilege with us. 
even commands us to enjoy it, because otherwise maybe we wouldn't. Um, Prayer exists because the one true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this God is a personal relational God for whom communication, for whom speaking, is of the essence of his nature. It's of the essence of his being. It's who God is. Actually, it says earlier in John's Gospel, in the first verse of John's Gospel, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. God is the Word. The Word is God. Jesus is this Word in the flesh. That's the point John is making throughout his whole Gospel. Jesus is the Word of God come in the flesh. He's the Son of God, living also as a human being. Not just divine, not just distant, but human and close. And as the Son, he has this divine relationship with the Father in the Holy Spirit. Perfect communion as the Son of God. And he enjoys this perfect communion, this very same relationship with God the Father in the Holy Spirit. He enjoys the same relationship as a human being. So we know at least it's possible for human beings to be in this kind of a relationship with God where we call him Father. and enjoy the divine privilege of prayer. So in Jesus Christ, you have a human being enjoying the divine privilege, enjoying what it means for God to be God. And that means relationship. And in in this case of Jesus Christ as a human being, it means prayer. And such a huge part of the Gospel of John is Jesus teaching us that he came not just to be God in the flesh for himself, not just to enjoy his relationship with God one-on-one, but that he came to share his relationship with the Father with us. That's, that's the whole point of John's gospel. Jesus teaching us that he came to share his divine privilege with us. And as we believe in Jesus, this is the, the way that he prescribes for us, as we believe in him, as we trust in him, as we rest in him, as we find in him our identity and our relationship with God through faith in him, we are so united to Jesus that what is true of him in his relationship with the Father, is also true of us through our spiritual union, through the Holy Spirit. His divine privilege, then, of speaking with God the Father, Jesus' own divine privilege, is ours. It's made ours. It's given to us as a gift. The first thing that should pop into our heads, then, probably should be something like praise and thanksgiving, right, for the, for the great privilege that this is. And while that may very well be true, the very first thing that you should do is respond with gratitude and praise. Uh, Actually, most frequently, Jesus, when he's talking about our prayer, he talks about our prayer in terms of asking. Asking. He tells us that this privilege that he gives us is the privilege of the Son asking the Father. Asking, that's the, uh, the basic idea of the word that he uses seven times that we've looked at in those passages. Uh, it's to request, it's to petition, it's to ask. Not just to talk or converse. God wants us to ask him for things. And when you stop to think about it, I mean, it's pretty simple. God wants us to ask him for things. But it's also crazy. It's... A, It's also utterly unique in the history of world religions. What kind of God does this? Just invites you into the the, the closest personal relationship possible, the the relationship of a father to a son. Invites you right on into that so that you would ask him for things. And that's the whole point of this religion. Ask me. 
That's, we've got the only God who gives like this. God is the kind of God who gives, who delights to be asked, who creates so that we would ask, who saves us so that we would ask. He gives us the freedom to pray. He gives us the invitation to pray. In Jesus' words, it is a command. It's, he, gives, he gives us this command to pray, ask me, ask me. In spite of the fact that we don't deserve to ask anything of him at all. Our whole life is spent in rebellion against God and in our sin, rejecting him, not wanting to be dependent on him, wanting to be autonomous from him, not wanting to be the kind of people who need to ask him for anything, wanting to think that we've gotten life for ourselves and mustered up uh, a life uh, through our own strength. We not only want to have nothing to do with him, we deserve to have nothing to do with him. And he comes into this relationship and says, ask. Ask me. He invites us to depend on him in everything, not just as a last resort, when all your other resources have failed you, but to live always in the fullness of our relationship, that is, the fullness of him pouring into us as we ask. We pray this way because Jesus prays this way. We pray because Jesus prays. He's the king. That's what the scriptures say. The gospel makes it clear. He is the king, and we also are kings because of our relationship to him. And it is the divine privilege of kings throughout the scriptures to pray to God as father. That's the divine privilege of, uh, of biblical kings throughout the history of biblical kings to be able to speak to God as Father, and to ask him for things. Recently, I was reading Psalm 2. Some of us have looked at that together recently. This part struck me. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he's speaking to the one whom he has set on his holy hill. He's speaking to his king, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. God is speaking to his divine son, who he has made king as actually a human being. Paul says this was fulfilled uh, not in eternity when, when God begot the Son from all eternity, but he says this was, um, this was fulfilled when God raised Jesus from the dead. He says that in Acts 13. Jesus came into the world as a human being. He lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, and at that resurrection, he was vindicated and declared to be the Son of God the anointed king, not just in his divine nature, but in his human nature. The human being, Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead. So God's son, God's human son, lives and rules forever as the man, Jesus Christ. And this is what God, in Psalm 2, this is what God instructs his anointed king's son, who's just been sort of coronated in this psalm, this is what he tells him. The very first thing he says is, ask of me. You're my son. You're my king. I've set you up over all the world. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. God tells the risen king Jesus, ask. Ask of me. Jesus has the privilege of asking the Father. Again, in the Upper Room Discourse, we've looked at seven times that he transfers this language to us. He gives and shares this privilege with us. He's the king who is instructed to ask anything of God the Father. And he says, 
that same language now applies to you. You ask. You ask, in, not in your own name, in my name. You ask the Father. The King asks God, and by his grace, through faith in Christ, that describes us too. That's the divine privilege that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, <clears throat> there's a divine profile to prayer in Jesus' name. Profile is like a terrible word. By profile, I mean shape. Really, that's the word I mean. But I had to alliterate. It's like stretching the thesaurus, right, when it comes to alliteration. That's why I don't like this. Uh, <laughs> I do mean shape. There's a divine shape to prayer in Jesus' name. God wants us to ask him for things as if we were Jesus. And Brian Chappell says in his book, Praying Backwards, a prayer offered in Jesus' name ultimately requests his desires. Right? So we ask for things that Jesus himself would ask for, not just to get whatever we want. Uh, James calls attention to this. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Get the idea there that it's your, your sinful passions, not your, your God-centered, Christ-shaped passions. It's you're asking wrongly, and that's why you don't uh, receive, because you're, you're asking just for your self-centered desires, right? Maybe at this point, your interest level just dropped. What's the point of asking for stuff that someone else wants instead of what I want, right? And let me challenge you just a bit. First, uh, such a disappointment might indicate self-centeredness on your part. <laughs> I just want to get what I want to get. I mean, that's what my kids say all the time. When can I get what I want to get? Secondly, no one suggested that asking for what Jesus wants is incompatible with asking for what we want. Those things aren't contradictory. Not necessarily. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. The closer we grow to Jesus, relationally, the more our desires will be shaped like his. They'll look like his. We will want the things that he wants. He says that in one of our passages uh, here in, in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But it, it hangs on that idea that if you abide in me, if you love me, if you receive my love, if my words are ringing in your ears and shaping your whole life, if you're really Christ-centered, then you'll ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see something parallel to that in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And if the Lord is the one who delights you, then what do you think will be the, the profile, the shape of your heart's desires? Your delight in the Lord shapes the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, then it, it shapes the things that you will ask for. You'll ask for the things that he wants for you. You'll come to want what he wants and to ask for that. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. That is not natural to us. He changes us away from our self-centeredness, away from the idea of, I just want to get what I want to get, and I don't care what you want. He changes us away from that, from the inside out, to align our hearts with Christ's heart. So we pray because Jesus prays, because we are in him by faith, 
through the Holy Spirit. We pray because Jesus prays. And in fact, we pray the very prayers that Jesus prays. He prays our prayers for us, and we enter into those prayers because we want to, because we abide in him, and because that changes us. So praying in Jesus' name means a participation in his own prayers. And that's sort of how this leads into John 17, where we have the great high priestly prayer we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Just a bit of a teaser on that. Basically, he is praying for others. He's praying for others to deepen in their relationship with God. That's what Jesus is praying for, and we enter into that prayer. That's what we're asking for, to deepen in our relationship to God and so that others might deepen in their relationship to God. And in the Lord's Prayer that we see in the other Gospels, he teaches his disciples to pray, pray basically the same way that he prays on their behalf. He prays these prayers as our mediator, and we just enter into them as he's praying them. We participate in his own prayer on our behalf. So these prayers are very other-centered. They're very concerned with the good of other people. That isn't to say we never pray for ourselves. There are plenty of biblical examples of people praying for themselves. Exodus 34, Moses prays. He asks to see God's glory. God was pleased with that request, and he revealed his glory to him. David said in Psalm 27, which Berta read this morning as our Old Testament reading, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. And because of this, he believes that he shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalms everywhere are great prayers for us to study and learn and use. Uh, King Solomon says in First Kings chapter 3, he, he prays, he loved the Lord, and he, he says, I want wisdom. I don't have wisdom. I need wisdom. I need to be able to live this life as you would have me live it. I want to live it with you, so please give me wisdom. And it pleased God that he asked for that. So people praying for themselves in the Psalms and throughout the Scriptures all the time, these very God-centered prayers, but some of the greatest prayers that are recorded in the Scriptures are for others. Paul prays for others as if he were Jesus. Uh, we have a couple of his prayers recorded in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. I'll go ahead and read those. Uh, we, we return to them frequently, and you should make these a regular part of your, uh, of your life and your prayers. <clears throat> but in Ephesians 1, he's praying for the church in Ephesus that he's writing to, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, basically his resurrection power. That you would know this God. And then uh, in Ephesians 3, he again prays before the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer for the church. For people who are already Christians, people who may still need to really become Christians, but he's praying it for the church, that you would be able to know 
empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, that you would be able to know what surpasses knowledge, and that is the love of Christ, so that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, that's, that's a way better prayer than praying for a fancy car for yourself, right? To pray this for yourself and to pray for others. Uh, in Colossians 1, Paul prays for the church there, basically praying for them uh, that they'd have the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit you see in Galatians 5, but he's praying for the Colossians for that in Colossians 1. <clears throat> you should use these prayers. As you go through the scriptures and you see these prayers, you should use these prayers and let these prayers shape your prayers for others. And, um, and you have a couple, couple that I'll just call your attention to here. E- Ezekiel 36, <clears throat> and this follows on the tail end of the, the divine promise, the, the new covenant where your heart is made new, where his spirit is put within you, where you live a changed life because of his grace at work in your life. He says this, Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. So he's declaring up front, and this is a promise, I'm going to let them ask me for things, and this also I will let them ask, to increase their people like a flock, to, to grow as the people of God. That's kind of an echo of what he says in Psalm 2 when he says it to his king, and he says it to us vicariously through Christ. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So God will bless and grow the church as an answer to our prayers. These are the kinds of prayers we should be praying in Christ's name. These are the kinds of prayers that God will answer in in Christ's name. He will grow the church. It's one of the great mysteries of our faith that asking for the good of others, asking for others to come to a knowledge of God, to deepen in their relationship with God, asking for the good of others also ends up being good for us. It's good for us to, to ask for the sake of others. It's not just what's best for me. It's what's best for us. Um as the people of God together. Jesus is always teaching us. He always says you, plural. When you pray this way, when you ask in my name, he's talking to the church, not just to individuals. He is saying that we should pray this way individually in our devotionals, but, uh, <clears throat> but he's, he's talking to us corporately as the church to pray in his name for the good of the church. And that means this ever-growing, ever-expanding church. We keep asking for the, the ends of the earth and the nations as our, uh, to be added to our number. We want more and more people to come into relationship with God as their father and to deepen in that relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's best for others ends up being the same as what's best for us, what's best for the church. And the ultimate prayer for others and for ourselves, in a sense, is what Jesus prays of the Father for us. Um, He says it in the Upper Room Discourse. He says it in John 17 in the High Priestly Prayer. Uh, It's praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit is sort of the ultimate prayer that we can pray for ourselves and for others. He says in John fourteen sixteen, I will ask the Father. So this is, um, I think, the only time in the Upper Room Discourse when Jesus is describing basically what it means for him to pray for us, other than the great high priestly prayer where he's actually doing it. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit. That's Jesus' prayer for us, is the Spirit. So that leads into our third point. It's that a divine promise inspires us to pray in Jesus' name. We have the divine privilege 
of asking the Father. Our prayers are divinely profiled after Jesus' own prayers. They look like Jesus' prayers. They are Jesus' prayers. We're participating in his own prayers. And all of it is founded on the divine promise that God will answer, he will answer, when we pray this way, when we pray in Jesus' name, we ask the Father as if we were Jesus, and God answers his Son, ask of me, and I will, I will answer, he says. Call on me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, you shall glorify me. He promises to answer these prayers, but it's not just a blank check, right? To ask for whatever we want. We've sort of talked about that already. This is what he's talking about when he makes this, this absolute promise to answer our prayers. This is what he's talking about. We go somewhere else in the Gospels. Luke 11, he says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Well, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So that implies when Jesus is saying, ask and seek and knock, he's saying, ask for the Holy Spirit. And God will give it to you. Give him. Sorry, misspoke. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God giving himself to us. There's no greater gift than that. There's nothing greater possibly imaginable that you could give than God giving himself to you. To use the language of Lord of the Rings, his worth is greater than all the Shire, right? His, his worth is greater than the value of everything that he has made, that maybe that should be obvious. God is above everything that he's made. He's greater than everything. And when he gives himself to you, there's no conceivable gift better than that. The Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you, according to Christ's promise, when he asks the Father, the Father will send this helper to you, to be in you and and with you forever. In answer to, to Jesus' prayer and answer to our prayer, in Jesus' name, asking as if we were Jesus for this same Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you means that God himself, who's greater than all things, is in you. So when you become a Christian, he fills you up. And then in response to continued prayer, he fills you more. And he fills you again, and he fills you more again. Think of the disciples praying in Acts chapter 2, and they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it says, the Holy Spirit fills them. And everything's changed from that point on forever. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't get any better than that, right? No. Acts chapter 4, again, they're praying. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here, were they not actually filled before on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and now they're actually filled? No. Think of Paul's prayers for the church in Ephesians, his command to them. He prays for them in chapter 1 and chapter 3, which we've already looked at, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, that they would come to a knowledge of God because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the power of the Spirit would enable them to know God more and more. He's praying this for people who already know God, who already have the Spirit. And he says in uh, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis, continually, 
So what does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? It's a filling that never stops. It's like infinity plus one all the time. God giving himself to us in ever-increasing, ever-deepening intimacy. God changing our hearts, changing our minds, causing us to bear the fruit of divine love increasingly, sending us out in increasing boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a fillingfulness of the Spirit that he gives in response to our prayers, he says. That's what he seems to indicate here. When you pray, I'll give you more of my fullness. I've already given you my fullness. I've given you myself, he says. Nothing could be greater except the next time I give you myself. (laughs) It'll be greater. That's what he says. Because God answers his son. That's the point of the gospel. The father and son have this great relationship. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And when he asks, the father gives. God answers his son. And because God's son prays, for God to give himself to you in the person of the Spirit. And because this is God's own desire, apparently, it's revealed to us through his son's prayer, it's a safe bet. God wants to answer that prayer when you pray it. In fact, it's a promise. It's the greatest promise. It's guaranteed by Jesus' name. The name in which you're welcome to pray, even better, commanded to pray, Ask the Father. Ask the Father as if you were Jesus. He will answer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and pray that you would teach us to pray even more and always in Jesus' name. Show us what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God, to learn about your great love, your love that surpasses knowledge. We pray for the Spirit who enables us to, uh, to receive Jesus and to come to know you through Jesus, to believe in you. We pray that uh, by your Spirit's help we would believe more deeply, that we would know you more fully. We would be changed more and more into your likeness. All these things we think uh, you would have us pray through Jesus, not just for ourselves. We pray these same things for our friends and our family, those who do know you and those who don't that all around us would uh, receive your Holy Spirit. You would send your Spirit into the hearts of our loved ones, our friends and neighbors and coworkers, that you would reveal yourself to them and, and fill them with all your fullness so that we as your church might grow in this world to the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.